0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 90 of the Alabama Liberal Podcast. Today we're gonna be talking about Year of the Tiger, Biden, Year Two. But don't call it a comeback. Joe Biden's been here for decades. Yep, he has been around a long time. And he's a lot like Alabama liberal, right? When people say he's finished, he's over, he's washed up, he comes out with a new podcast episode or some equivalent of that, like a major bill. You know, they're both equally important. My podcast, his legislation, you know, they both change people's lives, I like to think. But the media has pretty much already said, oh, Biden, he's a lame duck president, only a president in the first year of their term that is a Democratic president could be called by the media virtually a lame duck. He's over, he's finished. His approval ratings beneath 30% in some polls. Yes, cherry picked polls, it is in some cases. In fact, he might as well not even bother. The Democrats are going to lose both houses of Congress and they might as well go ahead and go home. Him and Kamala, they might as well resign. That's what some Republicans have said, too, by the way. Nikki Haley and some others. Democrats shouldn't even waste their money and time running for office. They should just let Republicans walk unopposed. And of course, the Alabama Democratic Party is like, we're way ahead of you. That's what we plan to do anyway. We're not even going have a Senate candidate run for an open Senate seat, the first one we've had in about 36 years in the case of Richard Shelby. But I'm going to get into... What I think is driving maybe Biden's unpopularity, which I think is mostly smoke and mirrors, what he might be able to do to turn it around, what the year is going to kind of look like, because we have the congressional races coming up later in the year. Most predictions are that they will lose either one or both houses of Congress, and then it would be very hard for Biden to get things done. We'll see. There's a lot of appealing Senate races that are open, that are possible, in my opinion. And I just want to make sure we don't do the 2020 mistake of, Putting eggs in way too many baskets and blowing a shitload of money. James Carville is kind of funny to me because he's usually right about things. And he was talking about in 2020, we wasted a ton of money on Senate races that we were never going to win. And he specifically talks about Amy McGrath and Jamie Harrison. Now, Jamie Harrison's kind of funny because he ran against Lindsey Graham, one of the most expensive Senate races of all time. I think it's like the third or fourth most expensive Senate race ever. And he basically wasted over $100 million on a race that... It seemed impossible to anybody standing outside. South Carolina is by far the most conservative state that has a coastline. If you look at a map of America, the red and the blue states, it's kind of funny because almost all of the, what I call coastless America, which is states that don't have any oceanfront property or whatever, The vast majority of them are pretty conservative. And even the ones that are liberal, they have like huge lakes, such as like Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. And then Illinois, Chicago is built on the water. So it kind of feels like water is a liberal influence, you might say. And that's usually because that's where civilization goes first. That's the trading post. When they build trading routes and cities, they always kind of made them on the water. And that way you could have a financial district that's pretty close to the water like it is in New York and every other city. The ships come in, they do their commerce, and then they go to the banks and the bankers, which are not that far away so they could take the money and everything. Most coastal states typically are either purple or, you know, whatever, like North Carolina and Georgia, they've now become semi-purple. And Alabama may not be, but at least they can get somebody like Doug Jones in there every blue moon if they ever need to or whatever. And our beach is very, very small. So is Mississippi's. So South Carolina is sort of like that last state with major coastline that it's just very, very entrenched Republican. It's very hard to imagine Democrats ever winning that. And Jamie Harrison, for over 100 million dollars, he did as well against Lindsey Graham as the very first time Lindsey Graham ran. If you go back and look at Lindsey Graham's vote totals and look at his previous elections, the vote total to the very first time he ran is almost identical. The Democrat got 44% of the vote. Lindsey Graham got 54% of the vote. Lindsey Graham wasn't an incumbent. The state, I don't feel, was nearly as entrenched Republican as it is today in that time period. It does feel like an incredible waste of money, as Carville said, but I'm confused because Carville was one of the ones saying, Jamie Harrison, should be the next DNC head back when they were deciding that award. His biggest qualification up to that point was that he ran one of the most expensive Senate losses of all time. And it's kind of the way the Democrats think to basically be like, oh, he lost. Let's put him in charge of the party. And so I'm curious if we're going to repeat some of those mistakes where we go after very difficult Senate races when there's only about maybe three, maybe four that are very likely and possible. And of course, the flip side of that, though, is that even though Alabama is not likely to elect a Democratic senator this cycle, they need to run somebody. I mean, literally anybody. Like if I didn't live in California, I would love to do it. I would love to be the nominee for the Senate race, but I think I'm disqualified as the fact that I don't actually live there. Although that's not always a deal breaker as the guy who beat my mother for political office, he doesn't live in the county he represents and really never has. And his house is empty and he's already put up a for sale sign because he's he's not running for reelection again. And he hasn't been seen there in about eight years. And so, you know, you get those kind of people, right? Like they represent Alabama, but they don't live there, such as Tommy Tupperville, who lives on an island in Florida. And, not really from Alabama, his wife's not from there, his kids didn't grow up there. He had no real ties to the state until he coached at Auburn University where they paid him to leave early. Only a guy who was paid to leave Auburn early could then come back in Alabama and say, that guy, he's the one we need representing us in the Senate. He'll never come to the state, he'll never show up, he has no ties to the state at all, he doesn't represent us, he doesn't know us, but we're gonna send him to Washington and he'll spend half the year in Washington and half the year in Florida and he'll be there probably for the rest of his life if he chooses to be. And so this is the frustrating political climate that we're in right now, Republicans repeatedly say things like, oh, Joe Biden, he was elected as a centrist. No, he wasn't. I don't know where you got that from. He ran on a very progressive platform. But then the flip side of that is the progressives being like, he's not delivering everything he promised us. What do you mean? Well, like police reform. Well, he never said defund the police. He never ran on that either. And so you really have a lot of people who kind of saw what they wanted to with Joe Biden, not really what he was saying, not really what he was running on. And a lot of people, quite frankly, who never liked him to begin with the media has never liked him and they've always hated him they've always thought he was too boring he doesn't drive ratings he doesn't drive clicks i've mentioned this several times They want to get rid of him and put somebody back in that America is afraid of or is polarizing in some way or who stirs the click, stirs the debate, who has that passionate fan base. And I've said that for a lot of episodes over the years. Bill Maher proved me literally correct this year. Very first 2022 episode, his final new rule was that Joe Biden should basically be pushed aside and Barack Obama be brought into the White House. And he explained how he would do it because of the whole two-term limit thing. But I thought if this is not typical of the media and that Bill starts the new rule basically being like the economy is actually really good. And things are actually a lot better than people think. And Joe Biden's done a great job. But none of that matters because he doesn't have a passionate fan base. And so we've got to shove that old man out of the way and bring back Obama. I thought this is what they wanted to do from the very beginning to Biden, was to basically put him in the nursing home and bring out somebody, probably from the past, and put them in Biden's place. He even quoted an article that some people were saying, oh, maybe Hillary will run in 2024. And so they keep going back to these figures. They drive a lot of views and a lot of clicks and a lot of outrage. Half the country loves Hillary Clinton. Half the country hates Hillary Clinton. Half the country is obsessed with Barack Obama. If Michelle Obama farted in the jars and sold them on Etsy, they would buy that. A jar of Michelle's farts. I got to get my hands on this. They just really love the Obamas. It drives the country back to a place, and it's not Obama's fault. It's not even Hillary's fault. They're not polarizing figures necessarily, but they like the polarization of that. With Biden, you have a guy who's actually making all the right moves, but the country seems somewhat united on the fact that they don't like him and don't really want him to continue to be president. And I want to look at why that is. With Biden specifically, he brought in some people that I don't think they necessarily wanted to vote for him, but they were voting against Trump. I think a lot of Biden's vote There are people like me who would have gladly voted for somebody like Joe Biden over even a moderate Republican like Mitt Romney or John McCain or something. I thought Biden would be a good president, and he has been a good president. About every objective measure, the country's doing a lot better than it was. But you had people who really were just voting because they Trump scared the hell out of them, and that's why they were voting. And so when you look at where his poll numbers have slipped... It's two groups and it's for totally different reasons, like diametrically opposed reasons. There's white women in the suburbs, and middle-aged white women, younger white women that aren't really Democratic voters. A lot of times they vote Republican, but they happen to vote for Joe Biden. And then on the other side of that, young minority voters. So this is maybe like young black women and young black men that really don't think Biden's doing a very good job. And the reasons are totally different. The Karens, as you might call them, some people might refer to them as that, they voted against Trump because he scared the shit out of them. And they were tired of being afraid all the time. So they vote for Biden. And they're saying things like, well, Biden's doing too much. He's not the man we elected. He's trying to too much. What do they mean by too much? I think they mean he's too economically liberal or more so than they thought he was going to be. And so they're saying he's doing too much and he needs to slow down and he needs to stop. Well, that's terrible advice. But then on the other side of the aisle, you've got like, you know, the progressive people. These are young Latinas and black women and people. Oh, Biden's not doing anywhere near enough. He's not doing shit. He's just laying up an office in a rocking chair, eating soup. And he doesn't even fucking know. I mean, all he cares about is going to Cracker Barrel on Sunday afternoons. That's all he wants to do or whatever. So they think he's doing absolutely nothing. And of course, the reality is neither one of those is true. He's not doing too much because a lot of the stuff that the far left has pushed for, he's never really embraced that. He's never talked... A a lot about expanding the Supreme Court or defunding the police and some of these different things that he never ran on, and he never said them, and he never said he was going to do any of that stuff. So that was sort of projected onto him by a far left base that is now backed away from most of that stuff. They don't even believe that stuff anymore. You'll see now, like, The mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, was like, Defund the police. I never said that shit. You know, and Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, she's like, Defund the police. No, no, no. I I said we love the police. So it's amazing like how far back some of these people that were really promoting it, it was mostly black female mayors like in DC and Chicago that were advertising this. They were the only like elected Democrats really saying it. And now they've kind of like completely backed away from it. And they're almost like, Who said that shit? Not me. I never said that. And Biden famously never would go there. And by the way, you still hear people bring this up all the time. Democrats Want to defund the police. That was said for about six weeks in the summer of 2020. I'm tired of talking about this because you see this shit on Quora and Reddit and the message boards all the time. Like, you can't let Democrats because they'll defund the police. That was said for literally maybe two, three months in the summer of 2020. There were some race riots when Trump was president, by the way. The thing people seem to forget. Biden never said it. It was never part of the DNC platform. And so when you watch someone say, well, Democrats lose because the defund the police rhetoric and stuff, that never made it into the DNC platform. That was never a pillar of what any of the major Senate candidates was running on. Certainly not what Joe Biden talked about. Certainly wasn't a big part of the convention in 2020. And it's basically been abandoned. We haven't really talked to that stuff up in at least a year and a half. People like me never said it. The majority of Democrats didn't want it, never said it. And so to hear that that's why we're losing elections, I think is a little stupid. I think that's a media narrative. I don't feel like they're really even trying to understand why Biden's popularity has slipped. So you have the Karens, which is like your Megyn Kelly type people. These are people that typically don't vote Democratic and they really didn't want to vote for Biden necessarily, but they didn't want Trump in office anymore. And so those people are gonna give a lot of bad advice because they're just hoping Biden blows it enough that they can vote for Ben Sass or whoever their hero will be in 2024, you know, DeSantis if they have to. They're not really ever going to be totally satisfied with Biden because he wasn't their first choice, second choice, or even 10th choice. He was somebody they had to vote for to get rid of Trump. Then you have the progressive people, and these people are never going to be happy. I mean, they're never fucking happy. I consider myself progressive on a lot of stuff, so I'm almost talking about the people who go on Twitter and they're going to complain if it's a day that ends in Y. No matter what's happening, it's not enough. Biden's too slow. He's not moving fast enough. And you look at these people and think, you would think that Biden had full control of the Congress. Like you would think he had 70 senators and overwhelming majority in the House representatives. You would basically think he had FDR's numbers to be able to move through the legislation that they like. Of course, he doesn't. In the Senate, it's very difficult to do anything because of Joe Manchin. Manchin has to vote. The right way. Kamala Harris has to break the tie. Republicans are not going to vote on anything like protecting voting rights and things like that because they know it benefits them. If black and brown people can't vote, it benefits them. They're the ones who usually benefit from that and they win from that. And so they're not going to do anything to protect voting rights because they think it will keep them in power. That's the bottom line. You need 50 Democrats to be on the right side and Kamala Harris to break the tie. And Joe Manchin's not on the right side of this. I don't understand his thinking on a lot of stuff. People think he's a Trojan horse. Some people say the Manchinian candidate, like the Manchurian candidate. He's a stealth Republican. Manchin kind of comes across like the very last of the Dixiecrats. That's kind of what he seems like to me. A lot of the Dixiecrats, they defected to the Republican Party a long time ago. This is Zell Miller and Strom Thurmond and people like that. Rick Perry, even at one point, was a Democrat. Manchin is sort of the last holdover of that generation, really is kind of a Republican in almost every way. And he's slowing the Democrats down, but he has a lot of power as a Democrat, as kind of the tie-breaking vote. And of course, sort of the very last of the Dixiecrats. I think if he defected to the Republican Party, you know, he'd just be one of a million assholes. I mean, there's just so many people like that in the party they don't need another Chuck Grassley or Lamar Alexander or whoever else. They have people like that, and they're pushing those people out. The older generation that is a little bit more moderate, the people who will kind of sort of do the right thing on an infrastructure package, most of those people are well over 60, and they're gradually getting pushed out. I don't know that Manchin would be any more welcome there, because then he would come over to that party and they'd say, well, you're not a tea and you're not Tom Cotton, and you're not Josh Hawley, and you're not talking about an insurrection in the Capitol You're just another lame duck, another rhino or whatever. People say, well, you know, you're lucky he doesn't defect to the Republican Party. If he did that, he'd last maybe one term. He's already probably in his last term. The man is kind of old. I think it'd be like Arlen Specter where, yeah, he would defect, but how long would he really last to begin with? You have Biden... He's struggling to get a lot of stuff through Congress, a lot of stuff that he wants to do is not able to be passed. And the very young progressive people, even if he is passing stuff, they don't appreciate it and they don't like it and they don't want him there They want a president that they feel they can identify with. And it really comes down a lot to identity. It's like they don't identify with Joe Biden. Joe Biden could pass everything that they've ever wanted and hoped and dreamed of. And they would still prefer a young black male to be the president of the United States, even if he's not as good, even if he's more conservative. Parties kind of go through waves FDR was a New York Democrat, a liberal New York Democrat. And then the next Democratic president that was elected as a non-incumbent, because Harry Truman, he took over when FDR died. But the next one was JFK. And he was also a Northeastern liberal Democrat. So that was sort of a phase that the party went through. Then the next phase was the Southern Democrats. This was LBJ, this was Jimmy Carter, this was Bill Clinton. And so the Southern Democrats kind of led the party nationally because that was who could get elected in a climate that was more heavily tilted towards the Republicans. Then you had Barack Obama, who's totally different, And like nothing that we really had before. I mean, he's a total breath of fresh air. But the party seems to be obsessed with going back to him. And almost finding like a clone that they make in a laboratory of him. Cory Booker, man, he's the next Barack Obama, and he's not. Harold Ford, man, Harold Ford, he's the next Barack Obama, He's gonna, and he's not. Eric Adams, the guy that just got elected mayor of New York, Eric Adams is the next Barack Obama, and he probably won't be. Richie Torres, a congressman from New York, Richie Torres, he's not only like Obama, but he's gay too, oh boy. There's all these trying to cast the role of Obama in the 2020 election. They brought out Cory Booker, and then when he didn't catch on like Obama did, they brought out Deval Patrick at the last minute, be like, oh, here's two Obamas for you to choose from. Pick one of them. And of course, they picked neither one of them. And all these people kind of remind me of the worst aspects of Obama with none of his really great aspects. There are two conservative on economic issues. And you almost wonder if there's some sort of back cabal of Democrats, limousine liberals, as some people like to call them, who don't like that the party is finally getting a little bit back to its economic roots. And they want to shift that back to like, hey, here's a black guy. You guys love diversity. Here's a black guy. He speaks your language. He's culturally appropriate to what you're looking for. He's hip and fresh and then very conservative economically. And you can say that about Eric Adams. And you can say that about Cory Booker, who once gave a speech about Obama was pounding on Wall Street too hard. Obama didn't do shit to Wall Street. And this was during the damn recession that Wall Street caused. Even some of the rhetoric that he said was too much for Cory Booker. So he had to immediately run out there. And people said, well, he's just trying to get on the good side of donors and they're going to give his campaign more money. Democrats can't really be seen as that party anymore. The party that is constantly bending over backwards to corporations. And I'm not trying to sound like Bernie Sanders. I'm just saying From a marketing perspective, this year we've seen the great resignation where more people are quitting their jobs than ever before. I really believe people are sick of the status quo and they're tired of it. And we keep seeing these reckonings that never quite come. In 2008, there was a massive recession caused by the financial services industry, and everything really changed. Like, interest rates went way down. I used to mostly have my money in bank CDs. So growing up as a kid, I started very young saving, as maybe some of you the small kids start saving very young, and it adds up. But from a kid to a preteen all the way to a teenager to a college student, I had almost all my money in bank CDs. And some of you listening to this, you might remember the bank CDs used to pay out 3 to 5%. You could get a good interest rate from a bank CD. 5% is a pretty good interest rate. People are kind of happy with that considering it's safe. It's not stocks. It's guaranteed. There's no real risk involved. 5% is great. Now look at the interest rate on the bank CD. I wanted to open one for my kids and it was less than 1%. It wasn't even 1% and I thought this is horrible. So you might do a 529 plan or you might do individual stocks for them. Now I put all my money in the stock market. It's not that I want to, but it's just that I have to, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to get any kind of real rate of return, because bank cities are down to nothing. And in this climate that Wall Street has basically destroyed the economy, a lot of people have lost their houses, they've been foreclosed on, they've gone bankrupt, and Wall Street's still not lending out a lot of money, which they didn't for most of Obama's time in office. They were very stingy with lendouts, outs. And they've brought the interest rate down so low that bank cities paid almost nothing. That's the part where Cory Booker says, we're too hard on Wall Street. They create jobs, they create wealth and all this stuff. It really seems tone deaf, but he's extremely liberal on social issues. It's really part of what's wrong with the party. You have someone like Eric Adams, who may be a great mayor of New York. I hope he's a great mayor of New York, but I don't think that he's going to be as liberal as de Blasio was. And de Blasio, it was crazy that people had such a huge problem with him, considering New York, bastion of liberalism, had been under Republican control for 20 years. You had Rudy Giuliani and Michael Bloomberg in charge of New York City, for twenty years. And De Blasio was the first liberal mayor they'd had in quite a long time. And it was like they couldn't stand it. And that just goes to show you the sort of monopolistic thinking of Republicans. It's never gonna be enough. They've got to have everything. You think a city like New York City, sure, you know, AOC can be mayor of that, or it's a very liberal city in a liberal state. We don't really expect to win that. But they do. They expect to win that. They expect to win a recall in fucking California. California, which they say is the most godless, liberal, homosexual, drug-addicted state in the whole country, which they think should fall off into the ocean or burst into flames or be split into three and gerrymandered with an inch of its life, they've had every plan in the world to basically destroy California, including making Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger the governor, and when Jerry Brown takes over, it's six months from insolvency. They thought they were going to win a recall election in California because they had before. They only had two successful recalls in the entire history of the United States. And the second one was when Gray Davis got recalled by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was only a few years ago. And they thought, hey, let's do the same goddamn thing twice. But that shows you how they think. They want the state of California. They want the city of New York. And they definitely want the fucking White House. They don't think there should be two parties. And so it's crazy to me that Joe Biden's in there. And people are saying things like, he's not working with Republicans like he said he was going to. Well, I don't think he expected that he was gonna come into a climate where they refuse to admit he's the real president. I don't think he really thought that was gonna be the thing. Crazy to me to see them even saying that. They'll be like, oh, Biden, he's just not working with us. And of course that's a ruse and it's bullshit. That's just McConnell and all them running out the clock so they can take back one or both branches of Congress and then he can't get anything done. They want to waste two years of his life negotiating shit that they're never going to vote yes on and they're never going to agree to. And then in 2022, when the Congress is back in their hands, they'll be like, oh, he didn't make a good faith effort the first two years. So now that we have Congress, we need to let the American people decide in 2024. They'll treat him like a lame duck with two years left in his term and they won't pass anything. I mean, nothing. This is exactly what they did to Obama. He'd have to be an idiot to fall for it again. And Joe Biden's not an idiot. They're hoping for another young president, kind of like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, who were great presidents, But it took them a year or two to understand the job because they didn't have any real experience in the executive level. And they hadn't even really been in government that long. Barack Obama had only been in the Senate a couple of years. So they didn't really, truly understand Washington to that extent. And then they ran out the clock and they took back Congress and then they had a hard time getting stuff done. That's what they're hoping for. Joe Biden's not who they wanted because he had been in the Senate forever and he'd been vice president. He knows all these people. He knows these senators, most of them personally. He wasn't about to let them pull their shady bullshit and their tricks. And now you see that Justice Stephen Breyer has finally decided to retire, which I'm celebrating. He's really doing the right thing, truly doing the right thing for the nation. He didn't want what happened to Ruth Bader Ginsburg to happen to him. And I've slammed Ruth Bader Ginsburg before. She's one of those people that started to drink her own Kool-Aid There was a cult of personality that built up around her. And this happens sometimes with a lot of people on the right. You can see with Trump, but people on the left as well. Bernie Sanders starts to drink his own Kool-Aid. He's like, hey, I'll run for president again in 2020, even though he'd had a heart attack and he kept running, even though he cost Hillary a lot in 2016, by continuing to run months after he lost the damn race in the middle of March. Ginsburg's told by Barack Obama in his second term, what do you think? You might want to retire. You're not in great health. You've had cancer before. We could lose the next election. Do you really want a Republican to take you? No, it's me or nobody. And then I remember she had this smug-ass interview where she was basically like, hey, who else would you want besides me? And it's almost like anybody. Anybody who thinks like you do and is 30 years old, and there's a lot of fucking people who do. You're not the only one. You're not the only person on the planet. And I hate this mentality. Too many liberals and too many people who were kinda old, they think this way of like, I'm the only one that can really get this done. And you could see that from somebody young like AOC or somebody old like Bernie Sanders and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's gotta be a coalition of people and you've gotta bring a lot of people in. It's gotta be a huge tent. The only time Democrats get anything done was when the party was enormous. From the thirties all the way to the late sixties, the party was huge. George Wallace and Martin Luther King Jr. were in the same political party. I mean, that's how crazy it was. But look at how much they were able to get done. Most of the stuff that you love and I love about the United States, it happened in that chunk of time. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the GI Bill, Pell Grants, disability, unemployment, NASA, the Air Force, the CIA, NATO, the UN. You could run through everything That I really, truly love about the United States living today, it was in that 30, 40-year chunk. You have to get to the point where you want the tent to be huge again. You want to bring in as many people as you can, and you can't do that with somebody like AOC. It's not possible. The way she thinks doesn't lend itself to bringing in new people and trying to get new blood. Case in point, everybody has a different answer about why Biden's poll numbers are down. You'll see some people that are right-leaning like Bill Maher at this point is basically a never-Trump Republican at this point. He's changed a lot since he got those glasses. You know, I don't know what it is about those glasses that's making him so conservative these days, but they'll come out, people in the media, they'll say, it's crime. Crime is the reason that so many people are turning against the Democrats. They're afraid of crime. The crime wave. There is no fucking crime wave. If you look at the actual statistics, they're about the same as they were, and they're actually better than they were in 2020. Under Trump, the last year he was in office, and they had fucking riots and fires all over the goddamn country. The crime narrative is something that wealthy white people, limousine liberals, that's something that affects them. They're worried about getting carjacked or somebody breaking into their mansion or somebody stealing their shit or whatever. So that's why they've always freaked out about guns. Limousine liberals, they absolutely hate guns. They're for gun control because they don't want to get gunned down, go into the damn opera or whatever it is. They're not that worried about clean drinking water and clean air and safe workplace conditions and if an OSHA complaint is filed up on or whatever because they don't work in those environments. That stuff doesn't affect them as much. They don't really care about it, quite frankly. Crime has just become the new guns in terms of like it's an issue it's there and people talk about it a lot, but it's not the real reason. It's inflation. It's inflation and it's price gouging. There's so much price gouging going on right now. Where Bill Moore films his show right across the street is a Trader Joe's. And I know this Trader Joe's. I've gone in there a hundred times. If you go in this Trader Joe's, everything there is 30% more than it was last year. Some stuff's about 20%. Some stuff's about 50%. Same thing for the Whole Foods also across the street. He doesn't even really explore that area. They had one segment where he was talking about the new Oscars museum and he didn't know what it was or where it was. Well, He ought to know where it is because it's two blocks away from his damn studio. Two blocks away from the studio, you can see them building this gigantic building that has kind of a dome shape. I remember walking down the street and some elderly black woman was like, oh, my God, is that a mosque? Thinking some ISIS or something was moving in. I'm like, no, it's the museum for the academy. So this is like you can see it from his damn parking lot just about. Not that far away. It's on that Miracle Mile where all the museums are. But he doesn't even explore his neighborhood. Most people in the media are rich. They're multi-millionaires, and they have been for a very, very long time. They might not even do their own grocery shopping. They just say, yeah, whatever, the Instacart bill looks like it should be. They send some gopher out through Instacart or their personal assistant or whatever, and they pay all this shit for them, and their bills are automated, and they say, oh, yeah, that looks right to me. But people that are not wealthy, like me, and perhaps the majority of you listening to this, you know that inflation and price gouging is an enormous problem. And that has more to do with it than defund the police or critical race theory. That's the stuff Republicans are talking about. They say, oh, liberals, they're obsessed with critical race theory. Since when? This is stuff Republicans run on. They run on these stupid cultural issues that they pull out of their ass half the time. They don't even know what critical race theory is, but it's such a horrible thing and it must be defeated and we got to get rid of it. Critical race theory has been kicking around since the 1980s. It's not a new theory. Why are we hearing so much about it now? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Republicans want to win local elections for school board and superintendent and state representatives and things like that. So when they take back these state houses, like the Virginia state representatives or whatever, they can go into the state house and they can pass a ban on critical race theory and they can make it look like they're doing some shit. They're not doing anything, but they'll pass one ban on critical race theory and that'll be all anybody talks about. And then there'll be five bills that come through that make corporations give them more tax cuts or loopholes or deregulate this and that and change people's lives and they'll say hey why nobody stop them poisoning the drinking water or whatever but like that was the congress you voted for because you were so worried that your kids might read a book by james baldwin that you just couldn't fucking stand it. You had to vote in all these Republicans, okay? In Alabama, Kay Ivey's running a reelection election campaign. And her ads, those of you that haven't seen them or don't live in the state of Alabama, you need to YouTube this because they're so fucking unintentionally hilarious. I mean, they're just funny. But she's like, we've stopped that critical race theory being taught in Alabama. This is what they do. They find this bullshit. Like when some governor passed a ban on Sharia law, like the fucking caliphate is going to come to Coleman, Alabama or something like that. Like this is ridiculous. Like they run on, oh, we stop Sharia law and uh, we ban them transgender restrooms. And these are things that affect almost nobody. But then their base can be like, okay, good. They're getting the job done. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then the actual state itself and the quality of life of the people in it is going to complete shit. While they're passing critical race theory, they're also passing the school budget that guts public schools but people don't really pay attention to any of that stuff. They're banning books that people like me read 20 years ago. I'm seeing some schools want to ban like Mark Twain and they want to ban Animal Farm. And these are books that, I mean, that might've been slightly controversial, but they were books that were fine for me to read. Some people want to ban the Harry Potter books because they've got witchcraft in them. They run on one thing that most people can kind of sort of agree with or kind of sort of say, like, I don't think schools should be teaching our kids to be racist. And then all these people that are just barely paying attention, they'll be like, oh yeah, that person, that made a good point. I agree with that. Our school shouldn't be teaching kids to be racist. And then they get in there and they ban Dr. Seuss books or whatever because they're too gay or something like that. I mean, they run on something that sounds reasonable. If you're half paying attention, you're not really listening, you don't really know what's up. I don't believe in defunding the police. Yeah, that's right. I don't either. Police shouldn't be defunded. Then they get in there and they give some no-bid contract to one of their campaign donors. And everybody's like, wait a minute, police services have actually gotten worse." Our county than they were before. Again, it's people that are not really paying attention. They're not really listening. And unfortunately, that's a huge chunk of America. They're not following this stuff that closely. Last year, all we heard about was Afghanistan was going to be the end of Joe Biden's presidency. Oh, he's sunk. This is all people are going to be talking about. It's been like, what, six months? Who fucking cares? Nobody. Who's talking about it? Nobody. And Alabama liberal, if you'll remember correctly, I said that. They were talking about, oh, the Biden, this will sink him. This is all anybody will be remembering him for. Nobody gives a fuck. It's six months later. Nobody gave a fuck three months later. That was the war everybody wanted over. We wanted to get out of there. We wanted to start spending the money that was being squandered in Afghanistan in Alabama. Can you imagine the money that went to Afghanistan if they had went to Alabama? Huntsville would look like Tokyo by now. Huntsville's got a lot of tech jobs, a lot of smart people. lot of STEM. Can you imagine if they had trillions of dollars that you could go into that city and you can just rebuild it? This is something that everybody kind of sort of wanted done. And then when he did it, it was a huge deal. And everybody was like, oh, this is bad. This terrible. Why was it bad? Well, because it wasn't handled as smoothly as it could have been. remember when we put out of Vietnam and then the fall of Saigon and everybody was like, oh, this is just, who remembers that? They just wanted to leave. They just wanted to get the hell out of there. And so, yeah, you know, some things might've not been coordinated exactly correctly, but who really gives a damn when you're leaving? You want to get out of a place like that. And now you see the Taliban on the news being like, oh, Biden, he's not giving us money. Like we owe the Taliban foreign aid. Can you believe the nuts on these fucking people? Yeah. Well, we tried to kill your soldiers for 20 fucking years and we, really did kill thousands of them. And we made you spend of dollars fighting us. And we've been your mortal enemies and saying death to America all this time. But now that we're in office and we see how hard it is to actually govern and we don't know what the fuck we're doing, can you give us a lot of money so that we can buy more guns and enslave more women with it? I'm like, you have to be out of your fucking mind to think that the Taliban not getting more foreign aid, that this makes Biden look bad. Give me a break. The women that are being basically enslaved by the Taliban, we should say, okay, let them come here. If you're saying you can't provide for women and children, we would be glad to take them off your hands. And some people saying Iraq, we should have taken the oil or whatever. I'm like in Afghanistan. How about the women? Forget the oil, take the women. This is the thing, man. You got all these guys in rural America. There's incels and then there's militia types that are basically incels, might as well be. They've got a hundred guns and they can't get laid. I've explained in something like gender drain, the men can't get laid. There's more men than women. There are women that they immediately go to a bigger city. They leave places like that. And so all across rural America, that's why it's mostly guys and they join a militia or they join a reddit board or they join the incel websites or whatever and they listen to joe rogan's podcast and it's guys who are only around other guys there's not a lot of women around them they don't know how to talk to women they're not smooth with them hey yeah what trump said that makes sense to me and then they all kind of get that group mentality and if there's a woman around or she's in your house then when trump's on the news talking about grabbing them by the pussy or just saying different and various things that are a huge enormous turnoff, it kind of makes it look pretty bad right like you're there like oh yeah i guess that is pretty gross but if you're a guy and you're only around other men, and that's all you ever are is in this super, like, incel type environment, whether it's the gun range or the sports club. You know, you get influenced by that mentality. So I think that all the women that wanted to leave Afghanistan, let them come to America. You know, they have opium brides in Afghanistan where they give a 12-year-old girl to somebody to pay off a debt if their opium field doesn't come in on time. Why not take grown women that would like to leave the country and then let them come here if they choose to be middle-order brides. It's their choice. I'm not saying you make anybody, but I think they're going to choose yes. I have to believe that Idaho is better than ISIS. That's just me. I'm a crazy dreamer, but I think Tennessee is better than the Taliban. That's just where I'm at on that whole issue. The women come here and they're like, wow, I can drive a car. I can go out in public and not be whipped over it. My husband, if I don't have to have sex when I'm 13 years old, my husband, if I'm not in the mood for sex and I say, oh, maybe next week, he's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You cooked a good meal and I'm kind of full anyway. And I just want to get drunk and watch the game. And I'm just so happy that a woman is in my home talking to me like I don't know what to do with it. Overnight, you would have these men that desperately need a woman's touch. They need female influence in their lives. And you'd have women that are pretty desperate not to live under the Taliban or ISIS. It sounds like a win-win to me. How funny would it be if the Taliban just takes back over Kabul and they're like, yeah, we won, we won. They look around, there's no women there. It's all just men and deserted shops. We're like, I just think that would be so wonderful. That'd be such a demoralizing victory to be like, we took back control of the country and the one million most attractive women have all left. And so it's almost like, yeah, we'll just kick around here and do nothing You hear so many things from the media. The conservatives say Biden's poll numbers are down because of Afghanistan, possibly because of crime. They say he's too liberal on things like defund the police, which he's never said. The far left says it's because he's not liberal enough and he hasn't kept his campaign promises, even though he did. Some of these people, too, you try to talk to him. who was like, Biden's the worst. He's just terrible. And the police shootings. I was like, well, number one, the president literally can't do anything about that. That's not really their purview. He has done some stuff on criminal justice reform, like he got rid of the for-profit prisons, the federal prison system. Yeah, well, what about the state prisons? He has no control over that. State prisons and federal prisons are two different systems. By doing it at the federal level, that's pretty damn good to get rid of those contracts because that's what he can control and that sends a strong message, and then he'll do it. and Some other Democratic governors throughout the country, they'll begin to do it. You have the fact that a lot of people don't realize that they vote on a lot of this stuff. Like in Minneapolis, where I used to live, they voted. They wanted to fold the police into the emergency services department. And this is actually a really good thing. This isn't defunding the police, but it's bringing them into a system where there might be a little bit more accountability and they have a little bit more help. Some of the calls police go to, you might really need a paramedic or you might really need a social worker or something like that. This would have actually been a really good thing, but the voters in Minneapolis voted it down. They didn't agree with it. But that was something that the city of Minneapolis the epicenter of the George Floyd riots and the main ones leading the fucking charge for the mayor to resign and the city council to step down and the police chief to step down and to defund the police. They had a chance to vote on real police reform and they said no. And that just goes to show that this is maybe a very, very, very vocal minority of people who are out there raising hell because it's fun to raise hell. But if you ever say, I'm not resigning and I'm not stepping down and you can vote on this and we'll let the majority of people vote on whether I'm doing a good job or not, the majority might go another way. This is why a lot of companies, they say things like Democrats, they're too beholden to Twitter. Well, again, that's mostly private business. Private business, if a movie studio sees that somebody has 10,000 tweets against them, oh, they've got to go. Why not let people choose? Just like with elections, if the mayor of Minneapolis had said, well, I'm just going to step down and resign and go quietly because a few hundred people showed up to one of my rallies and they called me an asshole and they said, I need to leave because I'm a racist. He could have done that, but that would have been stupid. And we let the voters decide, and they went a different way. Well, movie studios need to start doing this. Stop being so fucking afraid of everybody, the Me Too movement, or anybody who calls you a racist or whatever. And again, that's not necessarily the the Democratic Party enforcing that. These are all things that exist outside of the Democratic Party. They can't control Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement or take a knee. People say, I won't vote for Democrats because of take a knee. Like Colin Kaepernick is the head of the DNC and he went around taking a census poll of Congress before he did that. This isn't stuff we have any real control over. They're not part of the Democratic Party. They don't even necessarily believe in the Democratic Party. Kaepernick said Trump and Hillary were simply the same and it didn't matter if you voted or not. And that's where we're getting the shit from. You get the Antifa people and people like that. These people turn off moderate voters and independent voters. They're greatly exaggerated. Their influence within the Democratic Party is basically non-existent or very, very minimal. When Joe Biden wants to pass the infrastructure bill, there's the squad, which is four women, and a couple of others, and that's it, that vote no on that. They're like, it's not liberal enough, and I'm going to do this, and all these other Democrats are going to agree with me. AOC has no fucking power within the Democratic Party. She just doesn't, okay? It's within the media. It's Fox News that talks about her Every day, it's the right-wing blogs and different things like that. It's some of the left-wing blogs that talk about her a lot, defending her a lot. She's not a big figure in the Democratic Party. And she has no real constituency and no real power to kill a bill or promote a bill or do anything. She's just one member of Congress. And Biden must be tired of being asked about her all the time. Because, again, she's one member of Congress. And she was trying to basically kill certain bills that Biden wanted because they didn't go far left enough. And nobody voted that way. He had like six people that said no, and that was it out of hundreds that are within the Democratic Party's constituency. But that's the difference in the Democrats and Republicans. They have no real constituency within the party. With Republicans, they are the fucking party. Trump is the head of the party, and he's leading a riot on the Capitol trying to stop his own vice president from certifying an election by physical force if need be, by killing him if need be. That is the damn Republican Party. The nuts run the shop. They're in charge. When you look at something Biden did, like there was one bill that was about U.S. chip making And it's basically about the United States needs to become more competitive with computer chips. China basically has a monopoly on it. And Taiwan, which is one reason China really wants Taiwan back, is to control all of the computer chip market. If they do that, they will have a monopoly. So the United States is basically saying we need to get our ass in gear and try to do something about this. They had a bill about it. It passed the Senate 68 to 32. You look at the senators that voted no, because this is one of those things. There's no reason to vote no on this. This is not one of those bills that anyone could have a legitimate reason for voting no on. There's just not. But you look at it, and it was all Republicans, except Bernie Sanders, which this is one reason why Bernie Sanders will never be president. And it's not because I'm a Wall Street sellout or he's too liberal and I just can't get along with it. It's shit like that. He's the only Democrat that routinely votes no when it comes to Russian sanctions, things of that nature. He's too soft on China, too soft on Russia. I can't trust the guy completely. And he voted no on this competitiveness for a computer chip bill. What reason I have? no fucking clue. But every other vote was the Republicans. And it was all the ones that say, Biden's too soft on China. He's weak on foreign policy. We can't trust him. He won't stand up for us. It was your Marco Rubio's, your Tim Scott's, your Tom Cotton's, your Ted Cruz's, your Rand Paul's, your Josh Hawley's. These are all the clowns that are going to run for president 2024. And I hope that they run that vote up on a screen right up beside them. And they're basically like, How in the hell can you justify voting no on a bill that would make America more competitive against China as you're running a campaign to say you're going to stand up to China? This is the same bullshit Trump pulled, and he's got a Chinese bank account with millions of dollars in it. And now he's out there promoting Truth Social a social networking site that's going to be funded by Chinese money. If he runs for president again, he will get money from China to run for president again, as he claims that he's standing up to for American values. China loves somebody like that because he's a divisive moron that will sink the country into a civil war if he doesn't get his way. He would rather do that than not get his way. And so they love some clown like that. And that's exactly who they would promote. You'll hear the media be like, oh, Biden, you know, maybe he can turn things around because he's got that luck of the Irish Only the media could talk about Joe Biden having the luck of the Irish. This is a man whose first wife and daughter died in a car wreck. That doesn't sound very lucky to me, having your first wife and daughter die in a car wreck. Then his son, Beau, the war hero, died because he had a brain tumor possibly sustained from his service. Biden thinks it was because of the burning of toxic chemicals in these landfills and the fumes from that gave a lot of soldiers similar condition to both. This man who's buried two children, his only surviving son is Hunter Biden, which feels almost worse. And he has to run for president three separate times over multiple decades to finally get in there. When he finally does get in there, it's against an incumbent president who's the first POTUS in American history to say, no, I won that election. You didn't win that. I'm not going anywhere. The first incumbent president to say, I'm not going anywhere. You didn't really win. If you make me leave, it's a coup. It's all rigged against me. This is bullshit. I don't agree with this. This is the luck of the Irish that a man finally becomes president after decades of trying and a good chunk of the country doesn't think he really won. And the former guy who we haven't prosecuted It's talking about running again one year into Biden's term, a few months into Biden's term. He's calling senators, telling them not to vote on a third stimulus because he needs Biden to fail so he can run again in 2024. Hey, this will make me look bad if Biden's able to have any success whatsoever. We need the country to basically sink into a huge economic depression and also be totally moral malaise, you know, all that good Jimmy Carter stuff. We need that so I can make a comeback. Hey, can you do that for me? This is as if the Joker was calling up residents at Gotham City. Don't let Batman succeed because I got to make a comeback, okay? You're going to help me, right? Like it's fucking insane that you could not only have what Trump did and then A few months afterwards, he's already raising money and having rallies and talking about running again in 2024. Run again? This man belongs in a supermax prison. He deserves no visitors and like 10 minutes of sunlight a day. This motherfucker is too dangerous to let anywhere near an election talk about running again. It's crazy to me. And then the second impeachment fails. And it's by most of these Republicans that now turn around and say, Joe Biden, he's too partisan. We just can't let somebody like this continue onward because he's not working with us. You voted to let a man who tried to kill you off the hook so that he could possibly run again in 2024. Are you lost your fucking minds why he wouldn't necessarily want to sit down and have a stake with Tom Cotton? I mean, are you crazy? Biden is a lot better man than I am. People come in and say, oh, the second impeachment failed. Well, how about the first execution? Would the first execution, would that work? Because that's what we need. He's committed treason multiple times. The first time he was impeached was for treason. He called our biggest rival China and asked for blackmail and dirt on Joe Biden. He called the Ukraine and tried to tie foreign aid to their willingness to assist him with blackmail. If he was the president right now and Putin had all those troops on the Ukrainian border talking about invading, do you think Trump would lift a finger To stop Putin from invading Ukraine and taking it over? That's treason to begin with. Then you have all of the bullshit he pulled. It would take you an hour to recap everything he did leading up to the election, then between the election and inauguration, and then the January 6th riots. It's unbelievable. So, you know, in baseball, which is completely frivolous, a baseball game doesn't really matter at all who wins or loses. You only get three strikes for a baseball game. I think three strikes is more than enough for fucking treason to lock somebody up or execute them. And so it's crazy to me to have this menace running around the country stirring Republicans up. And then Kevin McCarthy, who's having dinner at Mar-a-Lago and talking about what a great man Trump is. Joe Biden, he's such a radical. I guess a man who sits and talks about the head of a conspiracy to stage a coup on America and to have a mob of people storm the Capitol for the first time in 200 years and try to execute members of Congress. You're a great person to talk about what is and is not radical. And this is where I'm going with this to where... The Republicans are in a place where what they got away with is so unbelievable and absurd. And then to see them back out there, basically being like, we need to block the entire Biden agenda. They'll interview people about Biden and what kind of a job he's doing. And I'm like, yeah, Ted Cruz, is interesting your take on Biden. Also, you should be in jail. Why are you not in jail? Nobody gives a shit what you think about if Biden's too liberal or he's too radical or he's too progressive or he's not keeping his campaign promise. You belong in jail. And I really don't give a shit what you think about this. So in terms of where Biden's second year is going, because people, you know, I know I've talked a lot without giving you any predictions, it'll be more of the same. We'll see Biden try every way in the world to get what he wants. And he will appoint a Supreme Court justice, which will be great. Will they lose Congress? I think it's not realistic to think they keep the house. I hope they keep the house and I want them to keep the house but i don't think it's totally realistic well they keep the senate they might because if you look at the senate and the races they're tilted towards democrats there's only one or two tough races for the democrats toughest ones in georgia Raphael warnock is going to have to run for re-election and that could be a tough race for him but that's the toughest one they've got you look at the republicans there's a lot of them that are retiring and one of them looks pretty good to me the north carolina senate seat there'll be no incumbent there And this is a very possible pickup. In Pennsylvania, Pat Toomey's retiring. This is their most likely pickup. If they get somebody truly good, and they've got a deep bench in Pennsylvania, there's Shapiro, there's the lieutenant governor, there's the governor, there's a lot of good candidates. Then you have, even though Ohio is not as favorable, there's an open Senate seat in Ohio, and they have some great candidates there. Of course, there's Wisconsin, where even though Ron Johnson is not retiring, he's such an asshole, you have a chance of a pickup there. I think Pennsylvania and North Carolina need the most money. A lot of money needs to go there. And then if you have a second tier, Ohio and Wisconsin. But you get to a state like Alabama, and this is truly terrifying to me. I mentioned earlier, Richard Shelby, who's been the senator my entire life, is finally retiring. You sometimes see people in a dictatorship. I remember John Oliver, he had an episode about Lukashenko. He showed a clip of an interview somebody did with a young man that's like, you're 22 years old, and you've only known one president your entire life. A kid could be born, raised, and in some cases even die under the same president because they're there for so long. I've had people that's true for. Some of my classmates are now dead either through war or car wrecks or in the occasional case of drug overdose. You've had an entire generation, some millennials, have been born, been schooled, raised, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, and died. They've been born and died under Richard Shelby as their senator. Now, how crazy is that, that somebody can be in the Senate for that long a period of time, but they have been. You're listening to me as an adult. I've got kids of my own. Some of these people had kids of their own. Some people were born, raised, had kids, got married, kids of their own, and they're dead. Some people are probably old enough to have had grandkids in the time period that Richard Shelby has been in office. Well, he's finally leaving because he's like 100 years old or some shit. Who knows? Who cares? He sucks. He's the only one, by the way, of the Republican senators that are retiring this year that did not vote to impeach Trump. And he has not voted on hardly anything that Biden has asked him to do. There's been a lot of votes. Some of the sane, moderate, retiring Republicans have voted yes on and he's voted no. So fuck that guy a hundred ways, put him out on a Viking funeral pyre and shoot a flaming arrow into it. I don't want to fucking hear his name again. He sucks. He's dead to me. But the scary thing is, even though there's an open Senate seat in Alabama, the Democrats have not fielded a major candidate to replace him. I looked up who's running on the Republican side, and there's his former aide, this woman who's been handpicked to secede him, and then Mo Brooks, of course. Mo Brooks who has got all the Trump support. There's some guy who was in Black Hawk Down or something, and he's even running ads on TV. He's got ads, Joe Biden, discuss me. or But it's a genuinely interesting two- or three-person race that they get going on there. On the Democratic side, there's nobody. The only person who's even declared and filed the paperwork and is running right now is a guy named, I think it's Brandon Dean. It's either brand Dawn or brand Dunn. The way he spells it is a little unusual. Who is he? And you look him up and you're like, oh, he was the mayor for one year of a town outside of Birmingham. First of all, why one year? What happened in that one year? Did he resign? Did he get pushed out? Did he quit? I mean, why is somebody the mayor for one year? But that's his biggest claim to fame. He was the youngest mayor of this town, which he was only mayor for one year. And it's got 2000 people in it. What? Are you joking? A mayor of a town with 2,000 people in it? And the guy's younger than I am. He's quite young and looks young and kind of talks young and acts young. And you look at the Alabama Democratic Party and they finally got rid of Nancy Worley and Joe Reed, right? They finally got Joe Reed and Nancy Worley out of there, which is great. But they replaced them with two people that... I don't know that it's really that big of a difference, but I'm looking at them and thinking, okay, you've got to want to go out there and find better candidates than this. I mean, yeah, it's true. It's a long shot. I get that. I understand that. But at least you've fielded a candidate. At least you've begun to build a base. But they're like, oh, well, Doug Jones doesn't want to do it. And Terry Sewell said no. And Don Siegelman can't do it because Obama never pardoned him, so he still can't legally even run for an office. And his son just ran for attorney general in law so badly, he probably doesn't want to do it either. This is how light the bench is. Doe Jones said, no, okay, I guess we just won't run anybody. How can you not just have somebody who wants to be a senator in Alabama? The year ahead, Joe Biden... He needs all the luck he can get. It's the year of the tiger on the Chinese Zodiac calendar. And if this was ever time to make a comeback, it's coming. Hey, maybe Russia will declare war on Ukraine. Maybe they'll officially declare war. I mean, go fight that war and he can become a wartime president. And that's about the best way I can think of for him to get reelected. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for episode 91.